And sometimes it's like, we're just not quite cut out for that like productive grinding lifestyle. And it's so hard to step back and think of like, how else can I do it? But I think once we really give ourselves permission to ask that question and get serious about it, it really opens up doors and makes life feel a little easier to live. Welcome to Invisible Not Broken. Today, we're talking about physical therapy, grind mentality, and productivity with chronic illness. Our host, Monica, is joined by physical therapist, Rita White. So you are my twin in all of the diagnoses. Oh, really? Yes. Oh. Hypermobility, Ehlers-Danlos, math activation disorder, and POTS. Yep, they like to go together. They, they really are the unholy group of friends. Like, it's the plastics and me girls. Exactly. Or I'm sorry, you might be too young for that reference. I'm so sorry. I'm not at all. I'm with you. So we're talking to you from your office, and I am beyond impressed. I can barely get out of that bed over there. I have my whole office set up by my bed, and you actually do things. So tell me about your life. Yeah, so work-wise, I am a pelvic health physical therapist. So I have my own practice now. I went full-time to that about a year ago. But I specialize in treating people that have hypermobility, EDS, POTS. And then I also do kind of the pelvic health side of things, which a lot of times goes together with all of that. So yeah, a lot of what I specialize in is kind of the complex chronic diseases, illnesses, conditions. A lot of people come in, you know, that they don't have names for what's going on or they're suspecting something. So I can kind of help you know, them tease out maybe what's going on and get them resources and all of that. So yeah, it's been really cool to be able to be on my own and figure out how to do that. I, I never thought that that's where my career would go. So it's been a learning experience, but it's good. That's such an exciting career thing because even those of us who are lucky enough to get diagnoses, which it took my doctors almost 30 years to actually figure out what was wrong. There's very little discussion on pelvic health and I had two children before I was diagnosed. Okay. Yeah. And said so to have had like someone who actually knew what was going on with like hip bones and dysplasia and, you know, after giving birth and all of like the, the mess up of like the bones after this, it would have been so helpful. None of my doctors, even after I was diagnosed, had the first idea of what that would do to different parts of the body. It was just like, back some dislocations. You're probably going to faint a lot. And like, that was about all the help I got. Like, oh, wow. Wrong. So for anyone who's listening is feeling hypermobile or, you know, what what can anyone do about pelvic health to, I might, I now have a great physical therapist, which is where you are. And while I'm a big fan of my opioids, the physical therapy has got to be right up there with like the things I do for pain. And he has me do crutches, which is like my absolute number one favorite thing to do when I don't dislocate my legs. What are some things you think of that you could help out with, with the pain and with what people are dealing with? Yeah, I think it's such a good point that we just need multiple things to help with pain, like the pain that people with hypermobility experience is so unique, I think, because it's both like acute and chronic. And so we just like have to go at it from so many different angles. And so like meds and supplements and all of those things can be so important. But then I think it's also like thinking outside the box of what else can we do? And it's sort of like developing these toolboxes for like all the different flavors of pain that we might have because there's a lot but just like feeling like we have a little more control over it I think can be so helpful so like the first thing that 
I love to do is just be able to educate people so they feel like they have a better understanding of what their pain is. Like first and foremost, pain is, you know, this protective mechanism telling us like something's not right. So if we can kind of figure out what it's telling us, then we can figure out what we need to do about it. And then from there, it's like, do we need hands-on manual therapy to help with a subluxation or a dislocation or, you know, ice or heat or TENS or acupuncture or, you know, like all of, there's so many things that just, they need to hug a cat. Even it's like, like there's lots of tools. Um, she's quiet this whole time until I started talking to you. She has not moved in the last three hours until this started, but fine. She'll just be there. I think we also have the two dogs out there and we had the chickens up top that I swear were in some sort of ritual calling like some sort of old chicken god. They were all in some sort of circle just doing this chant that was well, terrifying, to be honest. If they were bigger, I think we'd all be in a lot of trouble. They are, they are yeah. stupid, lovely little animals. <laughs> you make some of the most wonderful points in, and it's something that frustrates me because I feel like a lot of the times in, especially in the United States, we have this weird like, bootstrap theory of push through pain. You're weak if you, pain is weakness leaving your body. Like we could go through all of the stupid gym sayings that are everywhere. And I went on a deep dive on your TikTok and, and your Instagram page, which was some helpful information. And it's really, I, I love what you're saying about finding those different things. You had a talk where you were discussing the problem with pushing through and of compensating. And I cannot tell you how many times, like I was a ballerina back in the day and how many times I made my injuries so much worse because I was going to get through that movement no matter what. And then using the good leg to compensate for the bad leg and then the good leg first becomes the bad leg. Yeah, absolutely. I think the compensating and then pushing through the pain are just such common things with hypermobility and chronic illness because it's like, that's what we're told to do. And, you know, a, a lot of people are kind of, gaslit from early ages too and and it's like we're in this body where you know it's all we know and so we think the pain is just that must be what everyone else is experiencing and somehow other people are figuring it out and doing it and like you know and you bring it up when you're young people just tell you like oh you're fine or oh it's just growing pains or you know like it'll just push through it. It'll be okay. And like, I know when I was younger and I played soccer, like I played very competitively and it, like, I just hurt so bad. And I just thought, oh, I guess that's what everyone feels. And, you know, looking back, I can see kind of specific things that are like, no, that was because of hypermobility and probably isn't how everyone actually felt. So I think we're just so used to pushing through it. But we know now that, you know, to manage pain, you really need to feel safe because pain is our survival mechanism. And so like our brain doesn't care if we make it to just the next moment or like a hundred years from now. It's like it just wants us to get to the next moment, the next moment, the next moment. And it doesn't really care if we feel happy and great doing that or if we just like are miserable and in pain. And so being able to like identify, okay, it's there's a signal here that's telling us that there's a threat. So how can we tune into that and help ourselves feel more safe in the moment? And then sometimes we have to then come at it from, you know, what can we do that actually now feels good 
because that survival instinct of pain is so strong that it's always going to be front and center. And so that'll take over. That's what it's made to do. And so we don't kind of do the both, right? We have to like feel safe. And that's not to say that you just ignore it, but it's like first kind of acknowledging it and then coming to a place of like, okay, what could I do that would help my body actually feel good right now? So real talk, since you actually are professional and you deal pain all the time, can we just explain to all parents in the world that growing pains are not supposed to leave someone on the ground rolling around crying, but that's not normal. Exactly. That is not normal. Yeah. I mean, I think that I I don't know really much about growing pains like and why that's I think it's just a um, convenient excuse as a parent to like not really look into you know what's going on and understandably so that if you have a kiddo who's complaining and you take him to the doctor and the doctor says you know everything should be fine like you're gonna try to just you know keep affirming them that it's like oh it's probably okay so I think like you just said the point is that if a kid is diagnosed with growing pains and they don't ever outgrow them or they seem worse you know what you might think a growing pain should be it's like you keep advocating keep trying keep pushing for better care because that's likely not the end of the story and I think first and foremost if you just believe your kid that something's going on and sometimes it's hard to you know believe a kid over a professional is supposed to be very knowledgeable and have the answers you know and is in like a place of power but I think you know, for people that are hypermobile and have gone through all this pain, it's like, you know, if you had someone from a young age that really was on your side and believed you, that that's worth a lot. I think we're going back to what you said, which is you have to feel safe to start addressing pain. And I'm sorry, I threw my own trauma into the whole discussion. And I was sorry about that. I, I think where I was trying to go with that is with the whole being taught, like you're just supposed to like push through. Kids are dramatic. I just kind of want to start getting into the, like the public consciousness that children aren't necessarily dramatic. And sometimes pain is a really good as you know, we have our own pain. I have a I have two children. And that was something I was really conscious of when they were growing up was like not minimizing what they were feeling because I felt like when I was growing up that was really like a, a trust issue after a while and what's normal what isn't normal I just thought I was bad at humaning I still might be very bad at humaning that's fair I am not a good I am bad at being a person and an adult but when I was growing up and I was seeing everyone else running around at the same age I was probably the same growth rate I was without like feeling like there are shards of glass in their bones that maybe I was just really maybe they were right maybe I was dramatic but still couldn't run and it's it'd be nice if more doctors and and adults had more education on what to expect for growing bodies so that especially for and you know anyone who presents as female I think already deals with a lot of gaslighting anyway and especially when you're growing up and and whether what pain is normal and not normal and if you're younger and you can get a diagnosis for or stainless, you have more opportunities to to work with physical therapists and offsetting. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it comes back to like, no matter what pain is real, because you're experiencing it. It's like, it doesn't matter necessarily like the why, the where, the, you know, it's like, if your kid is down you, they're in pain, like they're in pain because they're feeling pain. And that means that it's real. And now we know that, you know, there's lots of factors that influence pain. And so then we can start to kind of tease it apart to get at, you know, what's going on. And likely pain comes from a whole bunch of different things. And like we talked about before with, you know, with EDS and, and POTS and mast cell, it's like pain can 
be super complex. You know, it's probably one of the most complex pain conditions just because of how like acute on chronic it can be and that it's the whole body and it's jumping around all the time. And I think that is what can make people think, oh, that can't possibly be, you know, and we're not great in the medical system of looking at the body as a whole or from a systems point of view. And so, you know, if a kiddo says, oh, my knee hurts and they go in and they do, you know, maybe even imaging that's like everything looks fine. But then the next day it's, well, now my shoulder hurts. And, you know, once you start having all these complaints like that, it can, I think, be easy to just dismiss that because it's like, how can that possibly be? But if we have this education and look at it from this systems viewpoint of you know, there's something going on with your connective tissue. There's something going on with your nervous system, you know, looking at it like that or your immune system with mast cell, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's absolutely possible that you might be feeling these symptoms jumping around like that. And that makes sense. And now we have treatment options for you. And one thing as a PT, of course, I always think it's like therapy is, you know, it's great conservative care. It's fairly cheap and accessible for people. And yet, doctors don't refer people to those specialists. So, you know, we're like pain and movement specialists and we want to help people. And so if a parent has a kiddo with pain, they go to the doctor and the doctor kind of dismisses it, just understanding too that they're not necessarily the experts in that and that there are other options. You can see other professionals and get different opinions and there's more help out there. I, I, I'm annoying about physical therapy for like everything and everyone because it is so underused. And I, I've watched how like for myself, but also my dad was COPD and in bed all the time. And when his he did better was when he had a physical therapist who just taught him how to work out in bed. So like you can even see my my bed over here is I have my office in my bedroom. Um, I have like Pilates equipment attached to my headboard because there are many days I can't leave the bed. So I still get to do like these different muscle techniques that I've learned. It's, it is such an underutilized thing. And I wish more doctors get, get their heads around it. I want to talk to you personally about you do, you have a practice, you're a physical therapist, physically demanding. You have three complex conditions. I would love to know more about how you're able to handle your bad days when you have patients coming in. A good question. I think the answer is that I'm probably very much like everyone else and have the tendency to just push through and not always make the best decisions and all that. But I think what it comes back to is I do feel so I had a bad concussion about five years ago and didn't work for about a year. And so prior to that, I was living with POTS and mast cell and I was definitely more, you know, I went through PT school when my POTS was kind of at its worst. And it was certainly I was completely in the like, just push, push through, get through it. I hardly talked about it because I was so scared that if people knew I wouldn't be allowed to become a physical therapist. And so I just like did what I could. And, you know, it's pretty terrible. And I think I was pretty dissociated for most of the time, but somehow made it through. And then I kind of told myself, okay, I have a job. Like I just, I have to work 40 hours a week and I'm not allowed to take a sick day unless like, you know, I have a fever or the flu or whatever. So I really just didn't let myself like 
have bad days and take a break, which looking back, like was not healthy or sustainable at all. And so there's a big learning curve there for me, like I was never going to make it in a full career. And so, you know, I started to have some burnout, had to kind of look at doing things differently. And then I ended up getting this concussion and that just like completely changed how I looked at everything. And so I can remember just laying on the floor, spent a lot of time laying on the floor during those concussion days and just thinking like, okay, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to get back to full-time work or if I really should get back to full-time work. So how can I do this? And that's when I kind of started thinking a little bit more outside the box, like how can I kind of design a work life that might work for me? And I feel fortunate that, you know, I have some skills and, you know, this passion for what I do where it's like, okay, there is a lot of space to be creative with this. So yeah, that's when I decided to open my own business. So I was doing kind of both jobs part-time and then went to doing my own practice full-time. So I guess what it allows me to do is have more time of you know, seeing like less hands-on patients that being in a PT clinic was very like, you know, on the hour, every hour, you hardly had time to eat or go to the bathroom or, you know, just do those like self-cares. And so it's so nice now that I can have full control of my schedule so I can decide like how many people I want to see a day and a week. And do I want time in between seeing people so that I can, you know, stretch and move my body the way I need to, or I could pop outside for a minute or, you know, give myself long time to take a lunch break. So I think just kind of the structure of the day-to-day where it's like, do I do better if I sleep in and schedule my patients more towards the afternoon? It just kind of depends. I've been figuring that piece out, but I think it's really getting clear first and foremost with like, what do I need to do to take care of my body? And then how can I kind of structure my work around that? And so, so far it's been pretty successful. I definitely have times where there's, you know, flare ups where I have to, you know, I get ill and have to cancel patients. And that's so, so hard because like you want nothing more than to just be able to be there and push through. But the great part in my practice is I, you know, work with people who understand it and get it. And I think it's being, it kind of gives us all permission to just be like, you know what, we have to take care of ourselves first to be able to, you know, put out the work we want to do in the world. So again, kind of a long-winded non-answering, long-winded non-answer at all. I mean, for what I, I, if I can see if I'm correct in what I'm breaking down is number one, we never free our, just ourselves. We free everyone around us. So if you're able to be open and you're safe enough to be open, people feel like they can discuss this more with you. You had to start your own business because our world is not set up to deal with people's individual things. And if you're working for a big company, it's very hard to get the the things you need to be able to be productive. So you started your own business so that you could schedule things in a way that worked for you. And that this is all very, yeah. Is that like, grab enough of it. You got it. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And it is cool. I am now seeing how it's like we have to kind of take control to design our own lives. And I think it's so hard because we want to be able to just fit in and do what everyone else can do. And I think a lot of times it's like our bodies, like you were saying earlier, it's just hard to human. And sometimes it's like, we're just not quite cut out for that like productive grinding lifestyle. And it's so hard to step back and think of like, how else can I do it? But I think once we really give ourselves permission to 
ask that question and get serious about it, it really opens up doors and makes life feel a little easier to live. I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm super fortunate in the privileged level I have that I was, when I was working, I was able to do that. But even with that privilege level, I had to start my own businesses because there was no place that could accommodate me. And then there is the, the sort of judgment that you deal with with people where it's like, oh, you're sick. Oh, how lucky you get to sit around and eat bonbons or, oh, how nice. I would love a vacation. I'm like, what, what is my life is? Like, it's, it's this idea of like people want to escape productivity when I feel like it's the opposite. Everyone I know who's on disability, we all are incredibly productive from our beds and we want to be a part of things. We don't, I, I think like that's just one of the big misunderstandings between sick people and healthy people. There, there needs to be a better ambassador. And I feel like the media is not doing a good enough job. Like we, we need more of our stories from our mouths on how much we want to to do things. And the healthiest gazelle thing in the middle of the lion pack. Um, I'm fine. I'm fine. I can do this. I, I so hear that. Like coming out of the disability closet was the scariest thing I did when I was a business owner. That was terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. It is unfortunate how much there's that stigma around it and how it's, you know, people think, oh, you, you know, it's hard to get a diagnosis. And then it's like you get a diagnosis that no one even understands. And then, you know, there's this, oh, well, you must just not want to work. And it's like, yeah, everyone, you'd feel so much better if you could just be productive and just do a job. Like people would choose that every day, all day over living with these chronic conditions, hands down. And yeah, I'm not sure the best way to make people understand that. But I think it's, it's tough where it's this, I think the world should be able to make better adjustments and be more understanding and be more accommodating. And I think at the same time, we just have to be so like radically honest with ourselves and say, you know, maybe that just isn't for me and that's okay. How can I do something that will work? And like you said, that usually comes from a place of already having privilege and having resources and all that. So sometimes it's not possible, but I think just staying open and, st you know, staying creative that a lot of people with chronic conditions have so many like amazing ideas and things they can bring to the world. And I think it is like, how can we get that out there? Like you're just saying, because it's so needed. I mean, as we saw during the pandemic, it's perfectly possible for people to go to school online and to work from home. This is all distinct possibilities that allow employers to have such a large pool of people who are very good at problem solving. Like if you are trying to figure out how to get from here to the bathroom and your legs are dislocated, which was my morning, you get very good at problem solving on how to think outside the box when you can't just do something as expected. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. I think it is just like, how can we be creative with what we need? And then figuring out for yourself what it is you need to, which partially kind of going back to, you know, talking about before, like, how do I work within my job? And I spend a lot of time wondering, you know, or thinking about, should I be working from home? Should I be doing more online things? Which I think that part is awesome because you can reach people. And what I found personally is that I'm such a people person, like a one-on-one -on -one person. Like I just love being in the same room as someone. And I love doing hands-on therapy. Like 
to me, that's so energizing. And I feel so good myself when I can be around someone like it's hard work. It's hard on my body. I definitely have pain with it. But at the same time, like I get so much out of it selfishly, you know, like, so I I love that kind of work. Whereas sitting in front of a computer screen to me is more draining and, you know, kind of gives me more long-term symptoms and that kind of thing. So, you know, it's always like weighing the pros and cons of, of what works for your body, what gives you energy, what makes you feel good. And then how do we balance that? Hey, you talked about, and again, if this is uncomfortable, tell me to move on, but it was something that hit me when I was reading through your questions. And you talked about your fear of running out of time. And that was something that, that was almost like a punch to the solar plexus because I feel like that's been such a, a thing in my whole life of like, I better get this done. I don't have like the same timeline that everyone else has. I think you're you're quite a bit younger than I am, but I remember being in my 30s being like, I better like hit the wall with this career. I better travel while I can travel. I better do all this stuff. And it sort of shaped my life. I was wondering if it did the same to you. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, I think that is one of the biggest things. And I think, I mean, I'm in my mid 30s now. And, you know, I spent most of my 20s feeling really not good at all. I was diagnosed with POTS when I was 21 and, you know, had had kind of the chronic stuff for a few years before that going undiagnosed. So really it was just getting through college, grad school, working, but not doing anything else. And it does feel like you kind of just lose, you know, part of your life and part of your opportunities. And then I found now that, you know, even as I'm kind of doing things in a way that works better for me, what I have found, which is still quite annoying and frustrating to me, is that I just do things at a slower pace and I just need more time and I need more rest and I can't do the daily grind and things just don't come in that way for me. And so it's trying to be patient because I know if I have the patience and take my time, like better things come and I can create more things and I can do better work and and all that. But it's so frustrating to me because I'd so much rather just have that like even energy where it can just show up. So I think I've been trying to really tune into my energy and just allowing like, okay, if I don't feel good, can I just do the minimum, right? Knowing that it's going to ebb and flow and you're going to have those days where, you know, the creative energies come to you or like you have more physical energy or you can go do something. And so just kind of thinking about all of that differently too, where it's consistent in a different way. And then, yeah, I don't know the time it's tough. I think a lot of people probably feel like, you know, they had some time stolen from them or they're not able to utilize their time as well, which I think partially comes from the whole, you know, issue with productivity where we feel like our whole sense of worth is how much we're doing and we're never doing enough. So just sitting with that. I'm just very much feeling that like I have kids and like the never doing enough, never getting it finished is is very, very hard. And when you add on chronic illness, whole different world. We're almost at the end of our time. And I just, I always ask this one question just because it's one of my favorites. Do you have any purchase under $100 that just makes your life happier? And it could be anything. Does not have to be physical therapy. It's just anything that makes your life a little bit more bright and happy. Well, I'd always say I go for chocolate. That'll always do the trick. And that's under 100. That is a beautiful, I don't know if you guys have Mike's chocolate out there, but my God, that's the best stuff. 
No, I don't think so. Really? <laughs> like $5 and Trader Joe's does a very good job with their macadamia chocolate. Yes, yes, they have fun ones to explore. So that's always fun. I, I'm a big fan of that. Thank you so much. We're gonna have links to your TikTok and your Instagram. Is there anything else you want to plug or make people aware of? I do virtual consult and coaching calls for really big groups. So that's also an opportunity. So as much as I do love my in-person and hands-on work, I think it's so fun to be able to kind of broaden the scope with virtual practice and get to reach people further. So yeah, just reach out and yes, you can find me usually on Instagram the most, but yeah, I'd love to connect. Well, we will have your information on our show notes. So if you are outside of, so sorry, I'm blanking on which state you're in in the United States. I'm in Minnesota. Minnesota. So if you're outside of Minnesota and there's, you know, you need some consult, we will have your, your information right there on our show notes. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Everyone be kind, be gentle, be a badass. Keep an eye out. We're going to have hopefully two new podcasters joining the network. So keep an eye out for T New and Dion. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about today's episode, including show notes, transcripts, and more, please visit InvisibleNotBroken.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support this show by heading over to our Patreon or by sharing these episodes. We are non-advertising and our growth is thanks to you listeners. Thank you to our host Monica and Rita for a wonderful discussion. This episode was edited by me, Luke Spine. Last but not least, be kind, be gentle, and be badass.